This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Yerushalayim. And uh, yeah, Bezos Shem, uh, we're going to keep moving. I think we'll move into Holomoid as well. We'll do tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow's, today's Monday. Tomorrow we'll do Tuesday. Um, Wednesday, forget about it. Not doing Wednesday. That's Erev Yontiv. Uh, but then as soon as I guess... Uh, Everyone outside of Eretz Yisrael is, um, everyone outside of Eretz Yisrael, as soon as they're, um, you know, in Cholomoid, you know, as long as everyone's still on lockdown, so we'll just, uh, we'll keep it going. Um, now we are going to hit, um, hit the uh, Haggadah and uh, talk through a bunch of things. Um I'm going to do just a few quickly, just for those who missed my earlier shirim. Um, Kaddish, normally you have to do Urchatz. You have to purify yourself down below to get the Kedusha to come down from above. But on Pesach, because you're getting a freebie from 39, 39, sorry, 49 levels of Tuma, you go straight to the 50th level of Kedusha. So that we start with Kaddish, then we go to Urchatz. Because you're getting a freebie, meaning the Jewish people, as tummy as they were leaving Egypt, they're um, they're they're gonna get this freebie going straight into Pesach. The kedusha of Pesach is just a total freebie experience. And then comes uh, someone should mute their phone over there, or maybe I'll I'll mute everybody, and then uh, and then we'll uh, if anyone wants to say anything, just raise your hand. So. Anyway, so you get the freebie of, uh, of Leila Seder, 50th level, and then the day after that, you're dropped down to zero, not negative 49 or negative 50, drop down to zero, and then you climb your way back to, to, uh, to Shavuos. Okay, that's the picture. So that's Kaddish. It's first you get the Kedusha. Shem's just going to pour his Kedusha on all of us. And then uh, Urchatz is, uh, is the, the washing that God's going to wash us clean. We're going to wash our hands, and then uh, and then karpas is uh, is we're going to eat a little piece of vegetation. It's to get our kids to ask what in the world's going on there. And that's what the rabbis teach us. And uh, and you eat less than a kazayas, kaddish urchatz karpas, and then yachatz. Yachatz is the breaking of the um, breaking of the middle matzah, and uh, that's the the. The larger side goes to the goes to the afikomen for after the meal, and it will be hidden. And uh, and then, sorry, I keep fixing my camera for Facebook. I'm having a bit of a issue here. Uh, let's see if I can do this a little better. Let's try that. So the um, anyway, yachatz. We break the middle matzah. Smaller piece goes under, and. So let's just look at matzah for a second now that we're on matzah. Matzah is this, you know, in Jerusalem especially, you know, we've got these shmura matzahs, which are these big, round, you know, big, round, beautiful matzahs. And think about it. If I'm holding a matzah in front of my face, a big, flat matzah in front of my face, so it's like, you can't see me, right? There's no way to see me with that matzah in front of my face. But the second I turn that matzah, this way, the same exact matzah in front of my face, and I see you, and you see me with that whole matzah in front of my face. And why is that? It's because the matzah's thin. 
And so you can see all of me and I see all of you. And that matzah is, is wafer thin. And that is the nature of, that is the nature of the, of truth. It's the nature of your neshama. Like your neshama is super pure, super simple. Because it's just flour and water. That's all it is. It's just flour and water. And, and the, um, but if you break it, and now these matzahs, like, we're like so careful with them, they should be shalim. You know, and I, I used to, I used to have my matzahs on a, uh, non, um, you know, not on a rack, but inside, um, inside, you know, a fabric, three layered fabric thing. And, uh, all it took was a kid to like say something and lean over onto the table and crush all three matzahs that I realized. I'm getting a rack for Shalom Bias here. And I got, you know, a full metal, you know, silver rack with three levels. And that's where the matzahs go. So I don't have to freak out, freak out. I don't have to freak out on any of my children, um, which, of course, I would never freak out in my right mind. But it's hard to be in your right mind when your ma- all three of your matzahs just got smashed to smithereens. So, so the... Uh, I'm still working on my camera up top. This is ridiculous that I'm doing this this whole time. I definitely need another answer for that. Um, although I do maybe have an idea. I'm not sure what. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Let's try this. This is a crazy idea, but let's try it. Uh, oh my gosh, that's much better. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. If you've been wondering why why I keep throwing my hands up to the top, so... I figured out a much better system. Um, all right. Okay, that's much better. <laughs> I'm so not a logistician. I mean, I've been trying to balance my phone with glue dots on top of a laptop that's this thin at the top. Instead, I just threw my phone down on the screen, and it's perfect. Okay. So, um, anyway, let's get back to business. Now, so matzah, we're going to do, we're going to take one of these matzahs that we're like, we're so desperate for. We're going to take one of these matzah, break it in half. Yachat, we're going to break it. And, and what is, and how can you break, right? You can never break an unbreakable soul. How do you break the soul? How can you break the soul? And the answer is there's a way to break a soul. The way you break a soul is by having the actual self that's you, get lost into a sense of self that's small, weak, and lacking. and needs to be somehow, you know, augmented, somehow added to by the word, meaning there's I, that's a lacking I, that I'm going to somehow add to by the word mine or something, you know. It's going to be mine, and now, I ha- now I've somehow made myself more. And what happens is, the more your self-self is broken by I, meaning the small I, because I can either be the eye of God that is in you, which is the soul, which is the simple ma- flower and water matzah, or your eye is this like, this scrawny, horrible sense of self, which is the, which is the small I. So let me, let me give you an example with a story. When I was a kid, so we used to go visit my grandfather's, who was a fur trader in Northern California. And he would throw us all into his uh, Cherokee chief Jeep. 
and uh, take us up to watch the, you know, it was just a good outing with the grandkids. He would take us out to watch the sheep shearing where the, you know, these these uh, country bumpkins and the sticks of Northern Cal would shear these beautiful sheep. And these sheep were like, these sheep were, were like serious, um, you know, they were serious, uh, uh, sh- you know, red for their beautiful wool. And uh, anyway, so, so that's funny. Someone's sending me a class. Uh, someone just sent me, am I, when am I doing my classes? Let me see if I can cut and paste that. Yes, I could. Okay. And uh, that should have worked. Let me try it again. Paste. Send. Grandfather's Jeep, there were these giant woolen sheep running for our lives from these sheep. And we were so scared of these sheep. And we all hid from the sheep. And where were we hiding? We're hiding between my grandfather's legs. We're all like hugging my grandfather's legs to stay, you know, like safe. And what happens? They bring these sheep over to the shearer and the shearer takes the sheep and he with, you know, they, there's a group of men and they're, and they're shaving off the sheep all the way down to the skin. It was a little yucky and maybe even a little bloody. And the, uh, and the, the, and then the sheep were, had this lanolin. It's lanolin, which is the ointment inside of every hand, you know, every skin, uh, cream. Lanolin is actually sheep sweat. So they, they, so that here are these goopy sheep, but here's the thing. They went from like these big puffy sheep down to these like scrawny little, they just look like oversized rodents, these scrawny sheep. And what happened? We all came out from the legs of my grandfather because there was nothing to be afraid of. There were just these scrawny little things, these scrawny sheep things. You know, they look like dogs or something. They went from like, like lions to dogs and we were just, is anyone using another computer in the house or Wi-Fi? Okay, our Wi-Fi is, I don't know if Avrami, check out that Avrami's not sucking a Wi-Fi off our live feed, please. Anyway, so, so they were, um, so then we come out, we weren't scared anymore. So why am I telling you this whole story? Because the, the nimshal of all of this is that, is that the sheep, which is called Tsar, scrawny in Hebrew is Tsar. And the place, the root of the word Mitzrayim is the Tsar, the word Tsar, narrow. And Egypt, the life in the Egyptians was narrow, what's called constricted consciousness. Think about a slave's consciousness. It's consciousness. You don't have the freedom to think in a broad, you're in constricted consciousness. And when you look at yourself, as in a constricted form of self, when you look at yourself as small, when you look at yourself as lacking, when you look at yourself as weak, when you look at yourself as as uh, unwanted, unlovable, unneeded, un, unliked, um, unworthy, all of those senses of self, which is most people's sense of self, when you look at yourself like that, that's Mitzrayim. That's the Mitzar. Mem Tzadik Resh, the Mitzar. And... And and when you look at yourself that way, that's yachatz. Now your matzah's broken. The simplicity of just body and soul. Guf v'neshoma, hoishiana, like we say in the hoishinas of Sukkis. Guf v'neshoma, hoishiana. And it's also, I think it says that by Shir Shirim, guf v'neshoma. 
When you're just goofing the shummy, you're flour and water. That's it. You're just flour, flour, which comes from the earth, and water, which comes from heaven. You're just, you're just, you're just matzah. And when you're matzah, you're thin and you see the truth. You're just pure truth. Where the matzah in front of your face doesn't obscure one from in front of you. Whereas the you that needs, that get, where the soul gets broken, yachatz, is when the whole matzah is in front of you, meaning, meaning the big fat bread. And everyone knows that there's fluffy challah. You know, the puffy big challah. That puffy big challah is a lie. It's not true. It's delicious, fun to eat, smells amazing, but it's it's not true. You know, it's not real truth because, you know, think about it. If you sat on a big fluffy challah, so then, you know, when you get up, you got a matzah, basically. It's a thin, meaning all the air came out of it, all the puff came out. And what do we do? We think we can add to ourselves by being particularly beautiful or particularly strong or particularly wealthy or particularly full of possessions or, you know, or particularly smart or particularly holy or particularly, I mean, it could even be spiritual ego, you know, you, but we, when we add, think we can add to a self that requires no additions, a self that you can neither add nor subtract from the self that is the soul. When you, when you, are living from that ego, so then, so then that's yachach, that's the crushed matzah. That's a matzah that's been broken in half. And the second we break that matzah in half, what are our next words? Halachma'anya. This is the bread of affliction. This is the bread of poverty. And we, and that bread of poverty is the um, that bread of poverty, that broken matzah, is where is where you know we're just we're just in that small self and disaster for the Jewish people, a total disaster, and the um, and so that's the bread of our poverty. Halachma anya de'achlu that our forefathers ate. That our that our forefathers ate Egypt, and then we say uh, now we're because we're going to go from slavery to freedom. So now we are slaves. The Shana Ba B'nai Chorin. Next year we're going to be free, and we're going to discuss what freedom really means. Now, since we're on the matzah, there uh, I just like to embellish that a little bit. A matzah dikiyid, a yid who's a matzah dikiyid. Is is a Jew who just is flour and water. That's a matzadikiyid, and but the main thing about it is that he's true. He's true. It's just truth. See, when I think my car adds to me, I'm out of truth now, and now I'm in the challah. Now I'm in. Now I'm a big fluffy challah. Now, by the way, let's go back to the sheep. What were the sheep so? Why were the sheep so intimidating? Because aren't we really trying to intimidate people, especially us men? And even women, you see the way they show up to a kiddish when there used to be kiddishes. Yeah. The, uh, you know, it, it, is it not to intimidate in some way? You know, and, um, and so that, inti- that intimidation was the intimidation of our, excuse me, of our, sorry, I'm just setting up the other camera. That intimidation was the intimidation of, the sheep with the tzimmer, with the wool puffed out. That's the challah. 
And that's us trying to augment our true selves, our true matzadik selves with, with fluff. And, and so what happened is, is you'll, what's interesting about the sheep of my grandfather is that they are the, the word for wool that's puffed out is tsemer. Tsemer is the same exact letters as Mazar. What does that mean? That the root of everyone's puff, the roof, the root of everyone's fluff is a narrow, constricted sense of self, meaning a, 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 a shekker dickish self, a lie, a lie because, because the, we, that self is not the true self. It's not the self that God breathes into via the soul. It's a self that's ego oriented, meaning a self. What's ego? Ego is the idea that I can add to the self. And in other words, there's an eye that is the, the scrawny sheep eye, the goopy scrawny sheep eye. Now, could it be any coincidence that the God of the Egyptians, a sheep, it's a sheep, a sheep, which is really a scrawny goopy thing that's puffed out with wool. That's the God of the Egyptians. And, the, and, and what do we do with that sheep? We take it into our innermost room, the bedroom, and tie it to the bedpost, which represents our, our looking inside. Why do we do that? Because we take four days to seek its blemish, to look for what's wrong with it. And we bring that sheep into our room, and, and we're going to inspect it from our innermost sense of self. We're going to check inside. For the blemish, what blemish? The blemish that thinks we're this narrow thing that 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 needs to be somehow, you know, added to with something. And we're gonna we're gonna check it out. And on the fourth day, you know what we do with that thing? We're gonna slaughter it. Yeah, we're gonna slaughter that baby, shecht it, and um, and yeah. As host, you could mute everyone. There's an option that you could mute everyone else in the chat. That way we could hear just you and see just you. No problem. Well, it doesn't just see just me. It just mutes everybody. One sec. Okay. I had done that earlier, Avadia, uh, Fryam, but it, uh, it it backtracked. So, anyway, um, you can remind me if it happens again. So, the... Um, anyway, so... Um, so the, the, the Shepsala is shechted then on the last day. What do you mean you shecht it? What do you mean you sh- What do you mean? The answer is, meaning regarding us, is we slaughter the us. That's not us. You understand? We slaughter the, the sense of self that's not us. We slaughter that thing. Get rid of it. And, and what do you mean get rid of it? Like, then I'd be nobody. Mazel tov. The happiest times of your life was when you were nobody. That was your best time of your life. Yeah, go, go, go show me a two-year-old who could tell you who he is. He doesn't know who he is. He has no self-awareness. There's no ego there. His only sense of I is just pure experience, pure aliveness. You know, he's total living, totally alive. There's no, none of this conceptual sense of your, oneself. I mean, think about the word self-image anyway. I mean, what a crazy phrase, self-image. What is self-image? We all know the word image. Image comes from the word imagine. So what's a self-image? An imaginary self. 
And what's the imaginary self? Some negative sense of self. And then you've covered up with a bunch of fluff of being the guy or the, the smart guy or the rich guy or the, you know, some other sense of self, which is, you know, anyway, everyone knows a bunch of garbage. Everyone knows it's a joke and a lie. And no one needs that. And it just rips the energy out of life. And everyone has to play your game with you. And, 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 you know, if you're married, if someone's married to you, they got to like, you know, like kind of play along with that. And your kids have to play with that. And your parents have to play with that. And your siblings. And it's like, like all, all of a sudden, everyone's in some kind of like, a, I mean, what is this? A, a show or something we're all playing in where everyone's interacting? Like, Everyone's going to somehow bow down to, everyone's going to bow down to your, your position you hold professionally or something. And, and we're all going to play some social game that we're all involved in where we're all going to just going to have these characters we've developed based on some negative sense self-image that we created, some imaginary self that was probably mostly created from embarrassing moments that happened to you in school as a kid from some lousy family or community dynamic from the, your community you're from post-holocaust scrap without the s obviously you know and and that that's who you are oh no you're not that because you're going to be mr control freak or mr look good you know like just now i was talking to one of my more hanyokishi neighbors when i went to pick up my dry cleaning so the guy in the store you're not even allowed in the store but he comes with my stuff to the door He's going to push it out the door, my dry cleaning. He's in a mask and gloves. I'm in a mask and gloves. And there's my, my Hasidic neighbor. No mask, no gloves, no nothing. At which point I said to my neighbor, I was like, you know, the mask and gloves are not for you. They're for me. You put on your, you put on your mask and gloves and maybe you protect me. You keep the mask on, maybe you protect me. Now he laughed. And I told him, look, it's like Mo's Naim. I was speaking in Hebrew, but I'm, I said, it's like a scale. Okay? Why is the Chassidish world and the Haredi world in Yerushalayim and B'nai Brown, all these places, why are they still not wearing masks? I mean, some are now, but most aren't. Because it doesn't look good. Pasha doesn't look good. And, uh, and so what do they have on the scale? Looking good, which is not a mitzvah. Looking good. No mitzvah of looking good, but looking good gets all this weight and and loses all importance. Loving your neighbor as yourself, which is a mitzvah, don't stand on your brother's blood. No weight. No weight. All the weight's on how I look. And he laughed and kind of got the picture. I don't know if that'll make a difference for the guy. but But that's ultimately, you know, what it's what it's about and and by the way one of the biggest ailments in the world is obviously looking good it's it's particularly rough ailment uh, i'm from california where no one cares about looking good really much but the but the uh but where i mean they care a lot about looking good but looking good means not looking good in the way <laughs> you know it's like non-conformist also is looking good but the uh but when you live in the observant community so there's a lot of you know there's obviously a lot of pain and you know, it's post-war stuff and you know, a lot of pretty heavy stuff over there. And, uh, and so what we can at least do is look good. You know, what's left is looking good. And, and, uh, but meanwhile, you know, people, are th- people, people will throw their children to the wolves 
in a shidduch, meaning marrying their child off to someone, in a shidduch that looks good, even though, even though it's like they didn't properly check out the kid for their kid, but it was like oh, it was a, what's called a good shidduch. You understand? So like, so it's not just like my neighbor who thinks that uh, that looking good is more important than than uh, being good, which would be loving your neighbors yourself. But it's, um, but it's like my own kids who are like me. I mean, they're like my, they're like my own limbs that I would choose to look good over my children's well-being. And I could, I could take you on a tour of homes where, by the way, most people who are set up haven't made. I mean, it's just the, what a bracha to get married that way. But uh, I could take you on a tour of homes where there's young divorcees for no reason other than. You know, they were going with what looked good as opposed to what was good for their child. And, and of course, there was some disaster on the other side, only to be discovered like the week after Sheva Brachas. Um, okay, here we go. So, so we break the, we break, um, let me just make sure I didn't forget something. So that's the sheep of Eden. Oh, just something that's unique is uh, my birthday was Shabbos, Yud Nisan. And it's very interesting that my gift to Klal Yisrael has been to take them um, on the four-day journey, you know, on the seminar. It's a four-day journey starting, you know, for four days we inspect ourselves deeply and then we slaughter it. We slaughter that whole self-image business that's been literally ripping the life force out of us. We slaughter it. And probably the biggest adjective anyone would tell you after the possible you when they're done with the seminar is that they're free. You understand? That they're free after they slaughter it. So it's really interesting that I'm born on Yud Nisan. And like somehow over my life, it's all the way everything flipped and worked is that I wound up running the Possible Youth Seminar and and uh, taking people on this four-day journey to slaughter their sheep. You know, which is, whatever, it's just something kind of interesting. Um, uh and, and, and by the way, someone brought up the other day how I'm very transparent publicly. You know, I, I just kind of say everything. I, I don't hold stuff back. I, I really share it all. And anyway, so when someone commented the other day on that, I, I brought up several reasons why I do that, and uh, which are all mindless why to do that. But, but um, one, of the, one of the biggest mindless, though, that I want to mention is, um, is that you, is that you're free. You don't have to remember what image you're trying to maintain for each person you talk to in, in each different community. In each, you know, because you could be part of several communities and you've got kind of someone else you are in each one. Bad idea. <laughs> you know, that's exhausting. And, uh, and it's just much better just to be totally real. Just be you. Okay. Um, uh, after um, after Yachatz, um, then we have the Manishtana. Not going to go deep into that right now. Um, and then uh, you know I'm not going to go into all the Agudas Agudas here. The four questions, the four sons. By the way, this year I heard the four sons. Uh, one thing that was cool was the four sons are Roshetevas Cheres, 
Chacham Russia um Tam Vishaino Yadelisho Vav Cheris Vishaino Yadelisho as is freedom. The word it spells out freedom. The four sons spells out freedom. And it is interesting that it the Vav's there, Vishe, you know, you're there. No one else gets a Vav except the last one, which makes sense grammatically, obviously. Um, um, then we move to, um, we go through all the, I'm not going to do the whole Haggadah here. What I am going to move to is, um, is to the Motsi of the, And obviously we have the plagues then. And um, right now we're in the middle of the plague. So plagues tend to break down things. And um, anyway, and then we get to matzah and moror. And um, so what was that? Yachatz, magid, um, matzah, I'm sorry, rachza, right? And we have Ratsa. So let's get into uh, uh, Ratsa real quick. Sorry, I'm flipped through so many pages, but I'm looking at a picture book. <laughs> so I keep, I'm skipping over lots of pages here. Okay, Ratsa. So Ratsa is Nitilasudayim. I'd like to speak a little bit about uh, Ratsa and Nitilasudayim. The, um, the hands represent... In, in the world, they represent, they're, well, they're the extremities of our body. The hands represent extremity of the body. And whenever we're washing the hands, we're dealing Kabbalistically with removing the uh, evil or darkness. Now, what is evil? What is darkness? Evil and darkness is the extremity from light to physicality, meaning there's God creates the world with infinite light. And then it gets filtered, filtered, filtered through these parallel worlds until you finally have Olamaze in the world of Asiya, this physical world. And then that's our, our physical continu- you know, space-time continuum. But the further you get into the list of forbidden, the 365 negative commandments, the further you get into the list of the forbidden, the, the, now you're heading into the dark side. Now you're moving into the darkness. And thank God we have this list, by the way, because without this list. Now you might say, well, what about the Gentiles? Don't they need a list also of the dark side? Like, don't they have to know? And the answer is, their souls aren't as sensitive as ours. Where I grew up in L.A., there was a, um, there was a, um, you know, a lot of people in West L.A. had these exotic cars, you know, like serious Italian race cars. Now, those cars ran best. I mean, you could put any fuel in them, but if you put in the fuel we use, it would run like a Volkswagen Bug. So they had these high-octane gas stations and Canyon Gas in uh, Santa Monica Canyon right near my house in West L.A. had, you know, this super high-octane gas. You'd always see a line of, like, the nicest cars ever outside Canyon Gas because no one needs high-octane gas like those race cars. Those cars are highly sensitive to the fuel. A Gentile can go basically do whatever they want. They only have five things they're not allowed to do, and that's idolatry, stealing, killing, uh, incest, and uh, and uh, cruelty to animals. Other than that, they're like, they're just their souls aren't so sensitive. Their 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 car their their car drives fine with all the other fuels, so to speak. Um, the Jewish people, on the other hand, we are highly sensitive. 
How did we get so sensitive? Oh man, we got Kaddish going on. Our, only our community still diamonds in a group. It's, it's unbelievable. Oh man, you hate me, Rabbi Mavoach. Well, I'm gonna mail my ass, Boach. Amen. Amen. It's a, it's a little embarrassing that the whole world stopped davening in minions, except for my neighborhood, <laughs> like the whole earth. But uh, um, they're standing at great distance. We live in courtyards. It's we, I live in like fortified courtyards here, and and there's a big courtyard. Like that's where my sukkah is. So the guy leading is where my sukkah is. But everyone else is like totally far away from one another. Most people are on their balconies, you know, facing in to the courtyard. <laughs> but they just refuse to stop. And, uh, and our community, thank God, is the only Haredi community I know of that, um, that doesn't have, um, Corona. And so we just put out, we put out, my family put out notes yesterday all over the neighborhood to, that everyone's got to, you know, realize the blessing and take care of each other and be extra careful right now. But still having minions, Um, or I don't even know what to say about it because it's not what the rabbis told us to do. But that's what we're doing, or what they're doing. I've been praying generally for my living room, um, which the window leads right to it. Um, this is Masiris Nefesh, by the way. I'm missing Mincha for this year, so I will do Mincha by myself afterwards, which is fine. The whole world does Mincha by themselves now. So, um, and please forgive me if I stand up for Kedusha. Um, now, the... Uh, where was where was I? Someone remind me. Um, you don't have to remind me. I'll figure this out. Um, oh, the Jewish people have have um, high sensitivity to everything, because meaning all those pipes that God pipes creation in, because all the mitzvahs are the pipes, you know, and that's six hundred thirteen pipes. But what are pipes? Pipes are things that need to come down. And you got to stay away from them. There's other pipes that need to come down and you need to get aligned with them. The negative commandments pipe down and you have to stay away from them. The positive commandments come down. You have to align with them and draw, draw down via your doing that particular commandment. Now, how did we get so sensitive? We got so sensitive because of Sinai. See, God, God originally was not intending to have the, uh, well, who knows what God was intending, but, but meaning a good, a good 24, 4, and 2,448 years went by where the creation was run without a Torah. There was no Torah yet. For The Torah was only given in 2448 from the birth of Adam. So what happened was that the, that the whole world kept the seven laws of Noah. We all kept those laws, and uh, which was five negatives and two positive, which is set up courts of justice. So people are protected by the law, and two is uh, to believe in God. I should have probably done those in the opposite order, but whatever. And the that was it. And so no one was that sensitive. Anyone, Abraham could eat whatever he wanted. And we, we learned that our forefathers ate the right stuff, but they, uh, meaning ate stuff that Jews would eat, kosher, but, but they really could have eaten anything. And... But after the Torah, now what is it about getting the Torah makes us so sensitive? What? Because, you know, if I hand you something, you're so sensitive. And the answer is the nakedness of God and the total intimacy 
of the relationship between us and God at Mount Sinai. Us and God at Mount Sinai was a total fusion between a people, a nation, and God. It was a fusion. It was a total intimate fusion. And now the rest of the world didn't get that fusion. It was a secret rendezvous, a romantic rendezvous between us and God and a full fusion between us. Now, I don't know if any of you have been to the Sinai Desert, you know, on a trip. I've been there. Yeah, whoa. If there's any place you can tell three million people a secret, it's there. Like you can literally tell a secret to three million people there. You can rendezvous. You can be intimate with three million people but only in the Sinai Desert. It is just unbelievable. And I bless you all to be able to get there one day just to see what you can see there. Uh, feel free to Google it later, but that's nothing like standing in there in that desert. Now, um, the um, maybe we'll put it like this. And pre-birth control, okay? So we're going back uh, before the end of the 1960s, where throughout history, um, throughout history, in order to get a woman's heart, you had to marry her. To get a woman's heart, you had to marry her. Why? You had to put an insurance policy on her finger to get, you know, all of her. If you want all of a woman, you have to first give her an insurance policy. You get it all. Then you get everything. No tiki, no washi. You don't put the ring, you don't get all of her. That's it. You're not getting everything, you know, without, you know, you got to be fully invested and then you get everything. Now, obviously, post-birth control, that all changed. And, and you know, men prefer to uh, rent. Why buy when you can rent? And so they've been renting ever since. And, and, the, um, and so there became something called, you know, renting, which is another term for uh, you know, boyfriend-girlfriend relationship is basically renting. And, um, and uh, I mean, you have to pay for probably dinner or lunch or something I don't know, once in a while. Um, but anyway, that's called a renting. And um, what happens is if, if there's a, a lack of faithfulness in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Oh, sorry, I'm, I was getting into anti-Semitism. I'll go there in a minute. Um, what, what happened at Sinai is we were shown everything. And when you're shown everything, meaning when you're married, it comes with tremendous responsibility. There's a lot of responsibility. You know, there's stuff my, life, my wife likes. And there's stuff she doesn't like. There's do's and don'ts, you know, don'ts and do's. That, that, that's the facts, man. You want to be married to that woman, and she wants to be married to this man. There's do's and don'ts, and you better, you better keep those do's and don'ts if you want any intimacy. Now, intimacy and respect are, are together, meaning you've got to have the, the keeping of the do's and don'ts. That's respect. And then you have the intimacy. And the same thing, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur represent respect and Purim represents intimacy, okay? And in order to have a true bond with, with in, in a relationship, there's going to be do's and don'ts. Now, if it's, if, it's a, if it's do's and don'ts of like, you know, if, it, if it's the do's and don'ts of work, you know, because every job has compliance. Let's say you work for somebody, you have a working relationship with an employer, so there's do's and don'ts and, you know, but there's not a lot of intimacy because it's, you know, just various do's and don'ts. I'm just going to stand up for Kedusha one second. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Pinchas, give me a thumbs down if I shouldn't stand up for Kedusha. Amen. 
I'm doing Kedusha. You'll tell me later if it's right or wrong. I don't know. Kodesh, Kodesh, Kodesh. At night, so it's Melachal Arts Kavoyde. Bok Vadanayim and Koimai. So, so do's and don'ts in relationships. If it's a job, so there's do's and don'ts, but there's only so much relationship. And so, and people who have relationships, like for example, boyfriend girlfriend relationships, they have they give as few don'ts as possible, and not a lot of do's either, because they'll dump you, because there's nothing, there's no contract holding them back. So you want to limit the don'ts, you want to limit the do's, and you want to make it as easy as possible to not get dumped. And and of course, they're they don't even realize they're doing it. That's how insane people are. Is they they don't even realize that they're pretending to be held because what it really takes to hold me, for example, you have to do certain things. You have to not do certain things. You know, like that's what my wife goes through. And for me to hold her, for her to be truly held, I have to do certain things and avoid certain things. Like that's the, that's what it's about, you know. And she really knows what it is to hold me, and I really know. And that's because we've divulged that information because of the level of intimacy involved in marriage. And but it's so sad that people will actually pretend they're being held. They'll actually like literally lie to themselves and pretend they're they're being held. And uh, and I always warn people. And by the way, if you want to help people, I'm going to give you a little hint to help people in their lives. Is um, um, when when uh, if the relationship between a um, if a girl in a home is having problems, like things aren't going well for a girl in a home, and the relationship's not great, meaning the the and especially I'll say it like this, especially if it's uh, related to the relationship to the father who's either too busy or he's an alcoholic and vicious and God knows what. But if there's a, is a problem there, so she's missing her main nutrient, which is love. Now there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, young uh, men who, um, who know the secret. They know this secret and they'll use, they'll use the love word and literally like steal a girl right out from her house. They'll use the love word and, and the truth is, is that they, um, obviously they love themselves. That's what they love. They don't love anyone else. And, and, um, but anyway, but just, you, you always want to warn people to be very, very careful of, of that. And if they ever fall into that, you always tell them that, that who you love is, is yourself. And, uh, and I'm sorry, who that person loves is really themselves. And I'll, and just to tell you quickly, I, I had a, um, I once was teaching a class in Asia Torah and uh, a guy in the back of the class somehow announces to everyone that he's engaged to a Gentile. And I'm like, you're what? And he's like, I'm engaged to a Gentile. I'm like, what? And he, and I said, do we have to kill her? <laughs> and he says, you'll have to kill me first. And everyone in the class goes, oh, he loves her. And I said, you really love her? And he says, with all my heart. And I said, I said um, to the class, I said, so what do you guys think? Should he marry her? And everyone's like, you know, there were certain few people in there. Today, everyone's from in that class. But in those days, you know, people were quite secular. And many of them said, yes, he should marry her. And 
And I was like, no, you shouldn't. But I said, I, so I said to the guy, he fell into my trap. Here's the trap. So you guys should all know this. Feel free to use this if you ever wind up with, with someone who's in a bad relationship. So you say to him, um, I said to him, um, so tell me, why do you, uh, why do you love her? And he fell right into my trap. And he, this guy lists nine reasons why he loves her. Nine reasons why he loves her. What was the trap he fell into? The trap he fell into was that every single thing he listed was about himself. And I listed them all on the board. I quickly grabbed my pen and like wrote down like just the main thing, you know, respects, you know, helps, uh, makes him feel smart. So I wrote down smart and like cooks for him and, you know, and like, you know, it's just like I made the whole list of everything he said, nine items. So I turned to the crowd and I said, what do you, I mean, he really loves her. Should he marry her? And now even more people thought he should marry her. Like it, he like he caught more of the class into his reason why he should marry this girl. And and then and then, you know what I did? I said, no. And I go up to the board with another color pen and I write the word me next to every single item on the list. Makes me feel smart, loves me, takes care of me, cooks for me, me, me. And the guy in the back of the class was just Can I ask? Yeah. So when you're dating someone, how do you know whether you're dating them because you want to get married to them? Or whether you want to date them because it's me again? Like, how do you know that when you date someone? So it's, I'll give you a basic principle. And this is the way the Jewish world works for the most part. And not necessarily anymore because no one has any self-esteem anymore. But, but w- the whole point of it is that you are amazing. And when you get to the point where you're independently amazing, meaning you yourself alone, echad, one, echad, gematria 13, ahava, one is echad, which is ahava. I love myself. I'm okay. I'm wanted. I'm needed. I'm, I'm from Hashem. When you're that way, then you can marry another, then you can marry someone who's also come to that. And then all you see is their value, not what they, what value they add you, add to you. You see who they are. And that's 13 plus 13, which is 26, which is Shema Shem. And then the Shekhinah dwells between you. So anyway, that's in principle. Good question. I didn't answer it exactly, but I gave you at least the principle to fix that issue. Now. That makes sense. Thank you. Anyway, you're welcome. So, so the, um, Anyway, so I write me, 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 me. And then I turn around to the crowd and I said to the class, about 40 kids in there, I said, who does he love? And what did they all say? Himself. And I said, no, he hates himself. And he's been using this girl as a band-aid to feel a little better. He hates himself. And now he's got himself wrapped up in this relationship that will literally rip his soul out and, 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 and chew it to bits. It will chew up and spit out his soul and, and send him to God knows where he'll wind up. All because he hates himself and she somehow bandages up different wounds he has on himself. 
via this usury relationship, this relationship of using her for, for his open wounds, these 50-stitch wounds. So until you, just like Pesach kind of segued that, I forgot I was going there anyway, is that until you heal your own wounds, it's funny, the guy who uh, brought up the question was named Pesach. Until you heal your own wounds, until you deal with your scrawny sheep and heal that. And by the way, the fluff, the fluff here, the leaven, the chametz, the, the, the wool here, the, the semir here is a relationship in this particular case. Anyway, when I walked out of that room, I tried to hide amongst the 40 people because I really did put that guy on the altar. I sacrificed that, that guy. I literally threw him on the altar and uh, burned him alive in front of 39 people, which normally you wouldn't do. But I, I decided that, you know, he's already engaged to her. Like, let's, let's, let's go with the 39 people who aren't engaged and maybe we can save them. And, um, and so I just shafted the guy. On the way out, I was kind of hiding amongst the people. And as I got to the door, this guy goes, Rabbi? And I'm like, uh-uh. And he's like, can we speak? And I'm like, uh, Okay. And so we, yeah, he, I couldn't speak then. I was going to teach another class. But, he, but we made an appointment. We met that afternoon. And he broke down crying. And he was like, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I totally got it. I got the message. He's, it turned out this guy was like a brutally honest guy. Maybe a little too honest because it turns out he's a bit of a conspiracy theorist. But um, anyway, just kidding. He's probably listening to this. Anyway, so so he, um, so he, the, the guy the guy bails on it. A year, I, that was the last time I saw this guy. A year and a half later, this guy walks up to me in kippah and sitzes at a Shabbaton that Aish was running in America. And this guy runs up to me. I didn't recognize him. And he's like, it's me, it's me, it's me. You know? And I'm like, who are you? And, uh, and he's like, I'm the guy from the class. And he actually became observant, came to yeshiva um, in Israel, actually took a break from a very high-level job he had, took half a year off, studied full-time, and, uh, and is married with kids, Baruch Hashem, in the U.S. and uh, in an observant home. A very beautiful story. And uh, not all of them end that well. I, I have had to, unfortunately, do such antics without such good endings. But it probably ended well for the people I decided to do that for. Um, anyway, <laughs> by the way, we're on Rachza, washing our hands. But before we get, before we get all the way over there, um, I just want to say one more thing. Is that we are God's wife. Why do the Jews suffer such anti-Semitism? We just spoke about why we're held to such high standards. Because God showed us his nakedness. And nakedness only gets shown to a wife. Because before the 1970s started, you only got to see and get everything if you had given everything. Meaning, when a man marries a woman, he sacrifices half the world population. Right there. By the way, he expects a pat on the back for the rest of his life, which is such a joke. Us men are such nerds. But, you know, we're such jokers. Because, you know, in marriage, you either are giving or, or it just turns gray, you know. And you got to just keep giving and giving. And, okay, congratulations. You know, you sacrificed half the world population of single people for this, 
for this uh, for this one person. Um, and the um, which is by the way shows you polygamy's polygamy is uh, for men is is a natural thing, and uh, and that's why men have such a rough time with with making that decision. It's a very hard decision. And um, and the uh, anyway, but the but but you got it all. So at Mount Sinai, where God showed us everything, it then meant the sensitivities to the do's and don'ts on a whole different level, to the tune of 613 hyperlink commandments, which break down to about 55,000 laws. Now, let's let's understand. Whereas Gentiles have, you know. Keep the seven, go to heaven. You know, it's less sensitivity. Um, let's now um, cut to anti-Semitism because a lot of Jews feel like anti-Semitism is, you know, like it's unfair. Why do Jews have to go through all the, all the insane, you know, double standards and, and pain we've been through throughout our all our history? So guess what the Kabbalists say? The Kabbalists say like this. Well, <laughs> I'll put it in my modern muscle, is that the Gentiles are God's girlfriend. You know, and that's the do's and don'ts. And the Jews are God's wife. When, when, um, when a, um, if a girlfriend's unfaithful, you know, the guy comes back from a trip and finds out his girlfriend was unfaithful. What does he do? He goes and drinks a six pack of beer and then wraps his car around a tree and dies or whatever. You know, or does something else stupid. Um, when, if a man comes home and finds the same situation, who's married, yeah, out comes a shotgun. Everybody's gonna die. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's it's a whole different thing because because that's those are the, those are the those are, those are the clothes he bought for her. That's the home she's he bought for her. That's the bed he bought for them, and. He's fully invested, man. He he put it all on that finger of hers. My daughter's phone is ringing. He um he he gave it all here, and the same thing with Mount Sinai. God gave us. God gave everything. You know, He gave everything to us. Everything. And. That's a super intimate thing. It comes with do's and don'ts. But when we decide that we're out, when we decide that we're just going to do whatever we want to do, which is putting the crown on our head, which is, you know, the whole Malchus Edom, that's Rome, you know, is doing what they want to do. My strength, the might and strength of my hand. You know, I'm going to wear the crown. Don't forget, this is all during the coronavirus, the crown virus, where the whole crown of Edom's being ripped to the shrit like they're just going down on a on a microscopic crown shaped thing and the, and the the tradition in Judaism is Rome's Rome's leader uh meaning the leader of the destruction of Israel that led us to the Roman exile was killed by a gnat which is like a quarter of the size of a mosquito went in his I forget his was it his nose penchas not if it was the nose or it was the ear. He went into his brain and uh, and just flew around and made him insane till he died. And and uh, just like the, the guy who destroyed Jerusalem is killed by a gnat. So it says that Rome will have to fall before the end of days. And, 
and 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 Rome will reach the time of Mashiach. By the way, in case people are wondering if there's going to be some other exile or something, they will reach the time of Mashiach. It says that Mashiach's at the gate of Rome, and and the meaning meaning it will be when the West falls that Mashiach will rise. And uh, and I'll just let you know real quick that the crown is called Keter is called Ratzon, and Ratzon is Gematria three forty six. And the reason God's bringing Mashiach is Laman Shemo. In honor of his name, because his name got scattered into the physical world. And everyone just thinks this world's all there is, like all the atheists and the Western Civ and the United States of Asiv, and everyone thinks this world's all there is. So his name's scattered. His Shmo, it's not Ushmo Echad. His name is scattered. And everyone's just using it for their benefit selfishly and, and destroying our planet in the process. And, and that's, I mean, they're also helping a ton too. I mean, obviously there's it's not the same level of starvation, uh, mortality rates gone down. There's a lot of good things they've done, but, but the, uh, but the bottom line is that Shmo is Gematria 346, the same as the crown attribute, which is desire, Ratzon. And the, and the Shmo, Lama'an Shmo Ba'ahava. He's going to bring a redeemer, Lama'an Shmo Ba'ahava. By the word Ba'ahava means in oneness also. Because he really just loves us. He wants us to connect. But we get lost in the chaff of the scattered names everywhere. Physicality. Anyway, so how does he do it? He brings everyone to their knees. What is to their knee? To be brought, drawn to your knees in Hebrew is Korim. To be drawn to your knees is Korim. That's Gematria 346. Uh, to be brought to your knees is also Gematria 346. There's a lot of other cool Gematrias I could tell you about this that are really amazing. Like like uh, Malchus Edom is 346. And... and uh, um, various other things are all 346 that all totally connect to this. I'm talking like 10 more things go under um, 346. So, um, anyway, so, so that explains anti-Semitism is because we've, we've seen the nakedness of God. We, we got to have it all. We had the marriage. You know, he did all of that for us. The 10 plagues we watched the splitting of the sea we crossed, the manna and the, the, all of this, he brought us to the ultimate intimacy at Mount Sinai. And, uh, and what do we do? What do we do? We just decide, you know what? We want another lover. Yeah, we want someone else. And then he gets jealous because he's so crazy about us, doesn't want to share us with, doesn't want to share us with anyone else. And then all hell breaks loose, as it does over and over again throughout history. So, what does all of this have to do with the washing of the hands? We'll end with this. Is Now we're at Raksa, the washing of the hands. Is that the, the hands represent the extremities, the dark side. Because remember, we're created in the image of the way God created the world. God doesn't have an image. He has how he made the world. And we're made in the image of how he made the world. And just like the extremities of the dark side, they're the furthest from the light, light, and then the parallel worlds, and then our world, and then the dark side, which this is all going off this, this is all this class, the 365 negative commandments, the don't do's. And so our body also has the extremities. And those extremities are our fingertips. That's why when you bench, you wash a little, 
give the dark side their little uh, ceremony. Let them get confused with the finger washing before after the meal. And, uh, and we also wash Nitsilash and Daim. Now, one other thing you have to know, not just the extremities, that was all very Kabbalistic, but the hands also represent industry, industriousness. The might and strength of my hands, Rome, is the hands. It's the might. Yeah, and Asa, that's why when Asa, when, when Jacob tricks Asa, tricks Isaac to get the blessings, remember he's wearing the fur on his hands so that he would feel him. So what did, what did Jacob say? He says, the voice. Voice represents spirituality. Good luck talking if you don't have a soul. Notice only human beings have a voice to speak with because of the soul. He says, hey, it's the voice of Jacob. It's the voice of the soul. But it's the hands, the hands of Asaph. Yadayim Yaday Asaph. The hands of Asaph, the, indus- the industry, the bonim, the bonim. We're about to say hollow Wednesday night, right? Bonim, the builders, right? Who are the builders? The builders are the, uh, you know, Evan Mosu Aboinim Hayesel Rosh Pina, the rock, we're the rock, we're the eternal rock, the stone, because Hashem is the rock of the world, and we're, the, we're his emissaries. So Evan, the stone that the builders, the Romans, you know, hated, Hayesel Rosh Pina, when Mashiach comes, it's going to be the cornerstone that holds up the whole building, because arches, that hold up arches that are buildings were made of and are made of have a, a cornerstone that, that both sides lean into and supports the whole structure. We are that rock. We are the rock that the builders hated. And, um, and, uh, the, so the hands represent the industriousness, but they need purification. They need purification because even a Jew's hands get involved throughout the week. You know, our, our hands are asconiest. It says, uh, in the, the sages say that we wash our hands because we have yadayim asconios. We have hands that are busy, busy with physicality, busy in this world, busy making a living, busy all the dealings we have to do to, to support our homes and stuff, which is far from Torah and mitzvahs that, and prayer and all that stuff. And, and so we have to wash our hands before especially before you're going to have a bread meal. And then what do you say? How motzi, he takes out lechem, which represents the, the desire of man to make wars and everything. All wars are fought over money. Remember dough, bread, it's all money. You know, it means money. The word milchama is the root is lechem in the middle. And the word ma is separated. Ma is gematria adam. Mem he is 45. Adam. Aleph Dalad Mem is 45. And then it's, it's the word ma means man's search for meaning. It's the whole purpose. What is, what are we here for? But when you get involved in the bread and the Yadayim Askani has the busy hands, you forget all about the questions of life and what we're here for. And so, the, and then eventually this guy has more, so I'm going to go take it from him, but he's got to secure his money. And after a while there's kings who have the most money and then they build armies. And then this king goes after that king and gets his money and you got Milchama. So the, so the hands represent the, not only the extremities Kabbalistically, but they represent in humanity, they represent the, the, the ego of the, the, the mind, you know, and the, all that stuff. And so we got to wash it before we break bread. <laughs> okay, we're going to end there. Um, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, we'll think about how to... Uh, um, 
You know what? We'll do it like this. Let's just do it like this. Everyone who watched this, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, obviously, click share. Click share. Click, um, you know, like or whatever. I don't know what you're supposed to do on these things. Um, uh, share. Subscribe if you're on tour anytime. Send it to a friend. Do all that stuff. It's on YouTube, wherever you're watching it. Do all that cool stuff. But the other thing is, um, is you can become, you know what you can do? You can become members of my club, which is on rabbiyomtov.com. So if you just go to rabbiyomtov.com and join my membership, you also get all kinds of discounts of things I do and, and, um, you know, you're included in special things I'll be doing in the future. So just join my club. So maybe that's the best thing is people will join my club. So I'm going to keep pumping it out. You join my club, help support what I do, <laughs> help feed the, feed the glazers. You know, um, so that way we're in a nice reciprocal relationship. And believe me, I will never leave my club members hanging. As uh, those of you who know me on the screen, who have invested in anything I've ever done, you know, I never drop, never drop nobody. Quite the opposite. I, you know, the more you, it's like any relationship, the more you put in, the more I put into you. Okay. Blessings, everybody. Love. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Shalom, everyone. Be safe. Be well. And keep the instructions to get out of this thing. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.